Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. I was fortunate to attend a vocational and technical high school in Queens, New York. Thomas A. Edison Technical and Vocational High School allowed me and my peers to play into our strengths. If a sink was flooded in the school, it was our peers in plumbing who came to repair it. The same goes for electrical, automotive, and carpentry. For those of us who were more technically inclined, there existed pre-med and engineering. High school's boots. My guests today will discuss STEM, S-T-E-M, a movement that is now leading in discussions about what today's high schools need to provide. My first guest Dr. Gary Hochlander is president of ConnectEd, the California Center for College and Career. Beginning his career in 1966 as a brakeman for the Western Maryland Railroad, he has devoted his professional life to helping young people learn by doing, connecting education to the opportunities, challenges, and many different rewards to be found through work. Widely known for his expertise in career and technical education, high school improvement, link learning, and many other aspects of elementary, secondary, and post-secondary education, Gary has consulted extensively for the U.S. Department of Education, State Departments of Education, local school districts, foundations, and a variety of other organizations. He earned his B.A. degree at Princeton University and holds a master's and Ph.D. degree from the Department of City and Planning, University of California, Berkeley. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be with you. Hey, I, I greatly appreciate having you. Uh, Gary, let's start out uh, by defining STEM. What is STEM? So STEM stands for Science, uh, Technology, Engineering, and Manufacturing. Uh, and at least in, in the K-12 world, uh, it's an effort to, to integrate all four of those uh, themes, if you will, into a more, more coherent way of preparing students for uh, not only understanding, better understanding mathematics and science, but particularly the application uh, in the world of technology and engineering. Okay. And actually, I, I always, when I heard STEM, and, and maybe it's my own um, a lack of homework, I always thought it referred to science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, but isn't that what I said? Science, technology, engineering, mathematics. That's correct. Okay. You said manufacturing, which also makes sense, but. <laughs> oh, right. oh, no, so, so, but, but I'm sorry, my, my mistake. But certainly, uh, a real emphasis on abli- application of science, technology, engineering, mathematics in the world of uh, advanced manufacturing and, and many other domains as well. So, Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I just thought it was something you know I wasn't uh, familiar with, but uh, no, no, either no. way, my, yeah. my mistake. Okay. Um, what do you see as some of the major challenges surrounding more effective STEM education in the U.S.? Well, I think despite many many years now of advocating uh, for STEM, in most high schools uh, we still see mainly science and mathematics 
and each of those relatively isolated from each other. Um, we don't see much emphasis in many high schools on technology or engineering. There are exceptions. So, for example, uh, the Project Lead the Way pre-engineering uh, approach has gotten a lot of traction in many high schools throughout the U.S. But for the most part, uh, despite really a decade of advocacy, uh, STEM is still pretty much traditional science and mathematics. Um, and even where it does exist in a more integrated form, too often it's not connected to the rest of the core academic subjects, English, social studies, even foreign language. Now, now I, in your article in Educational Leadership, Integrating uh, STEM, you actually mentioned a high school that I attended one summer when I was uh, a high school, and that's Aviation High School in Queens. Um, is that a high school you visited? So that's an interesting question, Jonathan. I visited Aviation High School. I'm going to really date myself now. Uh, back in the late 1970s when I was uh, uh, beginning a three-year national study of distribution of federal, state, and local money for what was then called vocational education. Uh, and Aviation High School was, at that time, and I assume it still is, although I haven't been there recently, was one of the, the premier uh, really technical high schools in the country that integrated uh, aviation with the core high school curriculum, English, math, science, social studies, uh, and so on. Now, you were in the late 70s. I actually attended there in the mid-80s, and I was only there for summer. You know, in New York City, you can go to almost any uh, school uh, where certain courses are available just to uh, move ahead if you chose to or catch up if you needed to. Um, but I did attend uh, Thomas A. Edison a Technical and Vocational High School, and I believe they st they're still going by the same name. And there was a lot of hands-on, real-world application, but uh, I'm not clear as to whether or not it was truly integrated into all parts of the curriculum. Yeah. And I don't know, uh, what is linked learning and how does it help advance STEM education? Is that, when you say linked, is that more of the integration you speak of? Yeah, so linked learning combines college preparatory academics, core academics, the English, math, science, social studies, foreign language that students need to be eligible for admission to four-year university as well as, as two-year colleges, combines that core academics with a challenging cluster of uh, career and technical courses, uh, surrounds that with work-based learning. We'll talk a little bit more about what we mean by that. Um, and then also provides the kinds of personalized supports, counseling, uh, social-emotional supports for students, uh, supplemental instruction in reading, writing, and math, and combines that all into a comprehensive program of study in high school, usually, although uh, more and more in middle school and post-secondary as well, combines that into a comprehensive program of study organized around a major industry like engineering, like law and justice, or biomedical and health science, uh, aviation could be a, uh, an industry theme, although that's a little narrow for our purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and it emphasizes in not only the technical courses, and I think this is really important for your listeners to understand, it's also about emphasizing real-world application in the core academics. So if you're in an engineering pathway, for example, uh, the core geometry courses or core calculus courses are emphasizing the way geometry gets used in 
uh, framing a house or building a seismically safe uh, bridge. So it's, link learning is as much about changing the way we teach the core academics as it is about delivering high-quality technical education. Now, you gave an excellent example in your article where students were preparing for, uh, I believe it was a, a television pilot, to present a television pilot or, or, or a network pilot. And you gave examples of all of the different areas that were linked or integrated into their study just to do this pilot. Can you share more about that? Sure, I'd be delighted. So in link learning, we love to celebrate student work. And at the end of each year, we, we do a, a showcase where we invite students to share the projects that they've been working on during the year. They come with their parents. They come with their teachers. Employers are, are present as well. Uh, one of the schools was the, uh, path, the Link Learning Digital Media Arts Pathway at Hollywood High School in Los Angeles. Uh, these students had been charged with developing a two- to three-minute uh, video trailer that they would use to pitch a full-length documentary to studio executives in, in Hollywood. These four students uh, had, were, had developed a, a trailer focused on the... Um, uh, the history of racial discrimination in Los Angeles. And so in their English class, uh, they were uh, reading the works of people like James Baldwin. Uh, in their social studies class, they were uh, looking at the, uh, some of the legal history, the evolution from board versus, uh, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education and other sorts of, of litigation that had occurred over the years. In their physics class, um, they were learning the properties of, of light and lenses, um, which they in turn applied in their videography class as they were learning how to shoot, uh, how to edit, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the technicalities surrounding lighting. And they produced a, a, a two-minute documentary, um, which they then got to pitch. And I asked them, well, to whom did you get to pitch your video? And they said to me, oh, we got to pitch it to the vice president of MTV. And I said, wow, that's, that's incredible. What was the most important thing he had to tell you? And they looked at me and they said, he told us spelling matters. And the, uh, you know, the teachers chuckled and they said, you know, we, we, tell, them all, we tell them that all the time. Uh, but until they heard that from the vice president of MTV, uh, they didn't really believe it in the same way. The credibility of hearing it from him really drove home that, that answer to that question kids are always asking, you know, why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know this? Uh, it's a fair question, and we don't very often give young people very good answers. One thing I'm not familiar with is the new science standards, the next generation science standards. Can you share a bit of that with us? Yeah, so um, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the Common Core, um, which uh, is an effort to uh, establish new standards around what students need to know uh, and be able to do in um, mathematics and English language arts. Uh, and the next generation uh, science standards are essentially uh, the next iteration of Common Core applied, in this case, to, to science. Um, there is a much heavier emphasis in the next generation science, center, uh, science standards on engineering, 
uh, on design uh, sort of, and design sort of writ large uh, than there has been in, in, the, in the past uh, with respect to um, uh, the, the, the core science subjects. So we're talking about biology, uh, chemistry, physics, uh, earth science, um, uh, and, and trying to get a lot more clarity and consensus uh, around what students need to be able to know, need to know and be able to do uh, in those domains. Okay. Um, at this time, we're going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion of STEM with our guest, Dr. Gary Hochlander. Uh, Gary, before the break, you mentioned the, you just, you shared with us the new, uh, next generation science standards. Um, how do we, how do we deal with the Common Core, linked learning, career pathways? How do we avoid competing initiatives and keep teaching and learning manageable for both students and teachers? Yeah, it's a great question, Jonathan. And, and there's no question that, that teachers at all levels, I think, are feeling overwhelmed uh, by a, a, a large number of competing demands on, on how they approach teaching and learning. I, I think from our, from our perspective, um, if you think of the Common Core and the Next Generation Science Standards as what students need to know and be able to do, link learning is how you teach it. Uh, so these are not competing initiatives. Uh, they really uh, are joined at the hip and, and reinforce uh, each other. So uh, again, to, to be um, a little more concrete, uh, imagine um, and this will, I think, provide you an interesting example of what we mean by work-based learning. But uh, if I were to take you to the Health Careers um, Academy uh, in Palmdale, California, I was there, oh, oh two or three years ago. Um, there, seniors who are in the Health Career Academy are required to take a group internship during the second semester of their senior year. Uh, they, in this particular instance, I was observing a class of 25 students uh, who in the morning were uh, together at Kaiser Permanente with their classroom teacher uh, and a physician's assistant who had been assigned by Kaiser Permanente. And the students were learning how to do electrocardiograms. Um, they were working with, with real patients. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had an electrocardiogram, Jonathan, but... Uh, uh, if you have, you know it, the, there's the application of the, the leads to uh, keep parts of the body. Uh, there's the actual uh, conduct of the electrocardiogram, uh, the interpretation of the, the graph that the machine produces, and the students are doing that in collaboration with the physician's assistant from, from Kaiser. And that afternoon, they're back in their AP uh, biology class, where they are learning about the um, human cardiovascular system and the role that electricity plays in regulating the human heart and how heart disease can interfere with that electrical system, which is precisely, of course, what the electrocardiogram technology is designed to uh, diagnose. 
And so there was a direct connection between really very sophisticated um, physiology in that AP biology class in the afternoon and real-world application at Kaiser Permanente in the morning. Um, and it's, it's that connection uh, between what we want students to know and be able to do, in this case, in an in advanced uh, biology medical science class, um, and how that knowledge and skill gets used in the real world by practicing professionals. So that's what we mean by connecting uh, the common core or the next generation science standards uh, to a, an instructional approach, which is link learning, emphasizing that kind of real world application. And I think that's an excellent example. And I have way too much um, experience with electrocardiograms and every other um, a device known to man with regards to the heart because actually last year I suffered level one heart failure. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so yeah, so I went from one very good local hospital on Long Island and they shipped me off to uh, Columbia Presbyterian, which, um, their, their advanced cardiac care, which is, you know, among the best in the world. And I was amazed at the level of, um, Detail. I mean, they get to the point where you're taking nuclear tests where they're, you're hiding behind screens giving you, <laughs> right. you know, radioactive material. So, um, but, but thinking about that in my location and of course out in California, it seems as if students who are close to the major uh, metropolitan areas would have an advantage, um, and with STEM. Uh, do you find that to be true or are there examples rural and, and less developed areas can benefit as well? Sure. No, it's, it's, a, it's a very challenging issue. Um, you're absolutely correct. I mean, in rural areas, uh, delivering a really rich uh, instructional experience, whether it's link learning or, or anything else, is, is, can be very, very difficult. That said, um, you know, in rural areas, certainly um, in many places, you can organize a link learning pathway around agriculture and natural resources uh, or um, uh, forestry and land management, uh, environmental uh, uh, science. Um, so there, there really is, there's, in this particular instance, there's no absence of scientific application in rural communities, uh, but it's certainly much more difficult to give students a menu of choices. I mean, delivering a digital media arts pathway, a pathway in engineering, a pathway in biomedical and health science, a pathway in agriculture and natural resources. You can't do all of that in a, in a school that only has a few hundred students. So, yeah, you have to be, you, you have to be focused, you have to be um, creative, and you have to design the, the organizing theme in a way that sort of maximizes the interests of, of all the students in the, in the small uh, rural high school. Now, now, do you believe that the – actually, I should ask you, what is the motivation behind the, the uh, I guess, reemergence of STEM? And is it the same motivation that was behind Common Core with regards to being more competitive on a global stage, having our students more competitive? So that's certainly part of it. There's, there's no question that much of what drives – School improvement today, and really has driven it for the past uh, 20 or 30 years, are you know, very real concerns about the ability of uh, Americans to compete in the global economy and, and the need for 
much higher levels of both academic and technical knowledge and skill in order to do so. But I think it's, it's, it's important not to overemphasize that. There are other objectives as well. And, and your example about your own experience with um, your own heart issues and medical issues, I mean, part of, part of what is behind certainly the next generation science standards is increasing people's just basic scientific literacy so that as you go through those experiences, as, as unfortunate and, and scary, I'm sure, as, as they have been, uh, you, have an un you have a better understanding of, you know, first of all, what's going on in your own body, uh, but also the kinds of medical applications uh, and being able to ask the right questions of your physicians and, and the technicians um, as they treat you. So this is, this is as much about building uh, a much deeper uh, level of scientific literacy in, in Americans as it is about uh, improving or increasing our ability to, to compete in a, in, a, in a global marketplace. Okay. Now, obviously, you've been all over the United States and many, many uh, different school buildings, what have you. Um, have you had opportunity to travel internationally to actually go into schools that are, are designed towards STEM, either deliberately or, or just naturally designed that way? Well, it's, it's interesting you should ask. I, just, just this past October, I had the opportunity to be part of a study tour in Switzerland looking at the Swiss uh, vocational education system and particularly uh, their apprenticeship uh, system, which is probably the best in the world. I, I, I haven't been everywhere by any stretch, but um, in Switzerland, about 70% of young people ages 15, 16, 17, 18 participate in the Swiss apprenticeship program where they are engaged in the, uh, on, in the workplace three days a week and then going to school two days a week, and, and those experiences are again, pretty tightly connected and, and integrated. And uh, what was so remarkable about the Swiss experience from, from my perspective is, is first of all, um, just the, the very high level of confidence that the Swiss have in the ability of young people, I mean, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, to um, behave maturely, interact with working and professional adults, um, and, and be productive in, in really important and significant ways. It's, it's, you know, so, so often in this country, particularly as we try to encourage more and more employers to engage in work-based learning and internships and those sorts of things, we find real resistance because they simply don't believe that high school students are, are um, uh, up to the task, if you will. And, and the Swiss... Uh, are, are just really extraordinary in that regard. Employers now, it, are investing huge amounts of money. They're spending $30,000 a year per apprentice uh, for three or four years. Uh, so it's a significant economic investment on the part of employers. Um, we have not seen anything like that in the United States. And, and you're uh, bringing up that example reminds me of the quote, if you believe you can or if you believe you can't, you're right. And I think that applies to how we look at the, the young people as well. If we believe they can or if we believe they can't, we're right, because I think they really do rise to our expectations. And in, in Sweden, since they have that high expectation, uh, students find it a natural to, to achieve it. 
Um, and I do think our students here are, cap- are just as capable. We just need to keep our expectations high. Would you concur? I absolutely agree. And, and we see that in isolated places in the United States. And, and again, you know, the example I gave you of the Health Academy in Palmdale, I mean, that is, there's no question that, that Kaiser Permanente uh, has overcome those reservations and, and has confidence in the ability of those young people to um, be part of the, the hospital experience on a, on a typical day. But unfortunately, that's the exception rather than the rule in the United States. Uh, and we, we, we absolutely can do better, and it's not the kids' fault. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's we adults. <laughs> I, I, I agree. And sometimes we're just following along with how we were uh, brought up. But I think individuals like yourself, you know, uh, keeping to the grindstone is going to help make a, a big difference. Um, how can our listeners learn more about STEM and linked learning? Well, uh, they certainly can visit uh, our website, website which is um, www.connectedcalifornia.org, um, and learn quite a bit more about linked learning and the work that uh, we and many others are doing here in California and in Detroit and Houston and now Rochester. If they want to learn more about the uh, Next Generation Science Standards, uh, just go to nextgenscience.org, uh, and uh, there's lots of information there, including, of course, access to the uh, uh, the actual standards themselves. Excellent, excellent. In fact, I'm going to uh, I'll try to remind my producer to make sure we get Next Gen Science up on our post-production as well, so people can link directly through to it. Uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Gary Hochlander, president of Connected, the California Center for College and Career. Gary, thanks so much for joining us. Jonathan, thank you. I appreciate it. Stay tuned because our next guest is at the front lines of implementing one of the major tenets of STEM. <laughs> 